Whiskey for the Ages is not sponsored or endorsed for any product or program mentioned in this show and receive no remuneration from their creators. And welcome back to Whiskey for the Ages. I'm your host, Brian Dawson, and tonight Hannah's here. A big thank you to those who are tuning in for the first time, and of course to our returning listeners as well. Unfortunately, Alora's out tonight. She's focusing on her studies, and she says she's feeling a little bit under the weather, but that's okay. However, we've got guests. Yes, and we're going to be discussing brokering liquor and whiskey distribution, liquor laws, and more. It's going to be a real good one this time. And we're pouring some new whiskey tonight, too. But first, let's bring in our guests and learn what they're pouring for themselves. Welcome, Rochelle. Welcome, Scott. Hi. Hello. How are you guys tonight? Oh, very well. Yourselves? Wonderful. Doing pretty well. So what what are you guys pouring tonight? What you sipping on? Got a Grand Teton... Single malt whiskey here. It's in 100% Idaho, Mashville, all Idaho barley. Nice. Kind of fun to support something local. Scott? I'm, I'm drinking the Grand Teton Catamount Straight Bourbon. Okay. It's, uh, oh, high okay. wheat whiskey. So we'll talk about those a little bit later as we get into the show, and you can spill the beans on all of what we're drinking. So, Hannah, what are you drinking? I have got the Grand Teton Private Stock Straight Bourbon tonight. So that sounds great. Yep. So as you guys can see here, we've got a little bit of a theme of what's going on, what we're drinking tonight. (laughs) All Grand Teton products. Now this was not set up by us for Rochelle and Scott, but that's what we chose because we're going to talk about the distillery a little bit later. I think I'll jump right in and I'll say how I got to meet you guys. I first met Rochelle through our local whiskey group. We have a local group called Boise Whiskey Enthusiasts, and you guys may remember we had uh, Chris and Ben Polstra on our show when we talked about summer tastes off and advent calendars. Have you guys ever participated with those? We have not, no. You're missing out. (laughs) The summer one we do tests us. And uh, basically when we say tests us, Uh, We did an episode here not too long ago, Reflections on 30 Days of Bourbon. Well, this should have been a Reflections on (laughs) the Taste Off, where we're testing 24 bourbons or American whiskeys completely blind, have no idea what they are, and we're trying to guess what proof they are, whether they're a bourbon. A weeded, who the distiller is, if that's available, uh, the proof. All the way down to the bottle name, if we can. So it's... Very humbling. (laughs) (laughs) Except if you're me. Except if you're me. I'm pretty good at it. I've gotten third for the last three years. (laughs) Or something like that. And then uh, Christmas time, we do another advent where it's just for fun. We just simply drink 24 American whiskeys. We try to guess what they are, but it's not a, 
a tested like thing. A little scratch off thing. Yeah, a little scratch off thing. So, so well, this will be our okay. third year doing that. It's a lot of fun. I think we met online when uh, there was an exchange about Elijah Craig barrel proof bottlings back in 2021. I'm sure with all the irons you have, Rochelle, you probably don't even remember the conversation. <laughs> but that kind of morphed into other barrel picks. And I think, did you have something to do with one of our first picks in the group? I believe we did the second Boise Whiskey Enthusiast barrel pick, the James E. Pepper yes. uh, rye. Yes. yes, a very good one. Yeah, I love that one. Then I think you did, didn't you have something to do with the Cayo barrel pick as well? Yes, I think it was split BWE and uh, Women of Whiskey. Exactly. Oh, cool. Very nice. Exactly. And then you and I had a couple of email exchanges about the possibility of me finding a barrel, but that kind of fell through because the people that we were working with didn't have enough barrels left over to... Let one uh, go for us. Common problem. <laughs> yes. Common problem. That's uh, one of our little favorite uh, distilleries in northern Wisconsin, right off, right outside of Minneapolis, actually. Uh -huh. Pepper has another rye barrel pick if BWE wants to do it again. I just got a sample bottle. Ah, oh. cool, cool. Good for that. Definitely noted. I loved that one. That one, I think, has been my favorite of the enthusiast pick out of the group. It's interesting, when we have them, more often than not, we're having them with a group of people. And Hannah had the experience, I think, with the Smooth Ambler first pick. She really liked it when we were enjoying it with people. But when she sat down and had it by herself... I, was, I felt a little let down by that one. Wrote a, whole article, yeah, wrote a whole article about that kind of experience, the power that people can have on, on how good a whiskey how good really any spirit is or how it can impact and make make it better. Well, I was going to say, that's one of the things I talk with people about when we're doing, uh, when I'm teaching our classes or, or any sort of on-premise training. It, people ask me all the time, well, what, what do you drink? It's like, it depends on my mood. Yeah, absolutely. You know, a lot of times I, I like bourbon, but there's a lot of times I, I'll grab a single malt scotch and that's just the mood that I'm in. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Um, but people do influence that as well as, if it's other people that enjoy bourbon, then I want to drink bourbon with them. I'm not going to grab a beer. Yeah, uh, right. <laughs> but yeah, it's a psychological thing of who you're with, what mood you're in, what you ate that day. Food just plays such a huge part in that. What I want the end result to be. Yeah. Is it mellow after dinner drink or is it I'm watching a movie? It all, that all varies on, on your taste. Mm -hmm. Before we go any further, I want to say... We're thrilled to have you on the show. So if that gets lost in uh, the translation somewhere <laughs> along the line, and we're glad you're here. So well, we're I, excited to be here. Thank yeah. you. I know it's customary to talk to the ladies first, but I'm going to deviate a little bit. Scott, <laughs> I think you've been in the industry longer than Rochelle. Um, yes. How did you get started in this? I mean, where, where did you begin? So I started working with a uh, Budweiser distributor in Austin, Texas, and that got my foot in the door of alcohol beverage. Really enjoyed it there, working for the company, not the state. I was not a big fan of Texas. Uh, my family moved to Idaho, so I came up to visit and fell in love with it, moved up here, got a job with the local Budweiser distributor here in Boise, ran very differently than Texas. In Texas, they were exclusive Anheuser-Busch products. 
in Boise they weren't. So it was a whole new game that I had to learn of a lot of different products I wasn't familiar with. I did about two and a half years here in Boise with the uh, Budweiser distributor. And I was talking to a bar manager one day during a sales call. And she said she knows a guy that sells vodka. I didn't understand that, knowing it was a controlled state. I didn't know how people sold vodka. Didn't understand what a brokerage was. Anyways, I interviewed with with the guy. He offered me a job because of my connections with downtown Boise already, working with the bars. I took the position, worked my way up from a local sales rep to a three-state regional manager for the company. And then his biggest supplier, our biggest supplier, decided to leave and go to another distributor because we were only covering a couple states. Bigger distributor was covering multiple so my boss came to me one day and handed me the portfolio and said, I'm retiring. Good luck. Start an LLC. Wow. Your business so, was thrust upon you. Pretty much. Yeah, we had six SKUs here in Idaho at the time because we had lost that, that large supplier. Luckily enough, in, in 2010, we launched Four Roses Bourbon here in Idaho. Uh, we were the brokerage firm that did that. That is what I got introduced to to selling bourbon was Four Roses. January 1st of 2011, my company, North Star Spirits, legally went into effect. And I had the six products that I had here in Idaho. Plus, I was the uh, distributor here in Idaho for the Hood River portfolio out of Oregon. So I had Pendleton, 44 North, and a whole gamut of other products that Hood River had. And that's kind of what jump-started North Star Spirits in Idaho. Wow, that's an impressive resume. You've you've done quite you you've done quite a lot. So you mentioned how you how you got into brokering liquor, but what exactly does a liquor broker do? If you can find the answer to that, let me know. Okay. <laughs> but you're no, supposed so to be are, the expert. <laughs> we are the middleman between the distillery or supplier, um, import companies, stuff like that and the state of Idaho. We are the boots on the ground, selling the product to the on-premise, getting the bars and restaurants to purchase product through the state liquor stores. But we are the liaison between the two. Customers want product they can't find, they reach out to us. We find brands that we want to represent in Idaho that may or may not be in Idaho yet. And we do all the state paperwork, present uh, new products to the state, we merchandise displays in the liquor stores, but the majority of our time spent is sampling product to bars and restaurants for them to purchase through the state of uh, Idaho's liquor stores, get on their menus, go to uh, bar promos, events, classes, dinner pairings, all sorts of stuff. So I heard a little snippet there. You said you sample product all day long. That yes. must be the fun part. <laughs> that, that is the fun part. <laughs> Not so fun part is the paperwork with the state pricing quotes and shipping problems and delivery issues and trying to find product from the East Coast that's on a truck somewhere in the Midwest that we're out of stock in the warehouse of. Sure, sure. So you're not actually warehousing anything. In fact, in the state of Idaho, I believe they warehouse, you might help me out here, for the suppliers. For the suppliers. Can you explain that a little bit? Yes. That's part of the, the paperwork that, that we do for the on, on behalf of the suppliers, the price quote. We have the shipping cost in there. The suppliers, they take care of their own shipping cost. 
So they factor that into the price of the, of the product on the shelf. So when you look at retail price, that's going to factor in some shipping costs and some other admin costs, if you will. But they ship into the state of Idaho. The Idaho Liquor Division warehouses the product. The supplier owns the product while it's being warehoused in, a, in the state bonded warehouse. The supplier still owns it. And the second it gets ordered by a store and put onto a delivery truck, the state then takes possession of that product. Okay. They use a third-party distribution company to deliver all spirits across the state. That's called bailment, by the way. Bailment. Okay. Yeah, so when the product's sitting there, it's under bailment. Meaning, this, meaning the supplier still owns it until the stores order it and it gets to the stores now the state. Okay. Property. And the state, the state doesn't do logistics. It's a third party that they contract out with. I right. See. And I, I, I was going to say, I remember that from my time at the liquor store, that all of our delivery guys, they weren't actually Idaho State Liquor Division employees. They were from this third party that was doing the okay. delivering of the product. Yeah, they, they have a contract with the state that I believe goes up for bid every couple years. Yeah. Um, but they've been the delivery service as long as I can remember. Yeah, I'm not going to. So it's, divul- it's a local Boise company as yeah. well. I'm not going to divulge the name, but whenever I see one of their trucks, I say, "There goes my, <laughs> there goes my bourbon." <laughs> mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. Stick other things, but yes, it's yeah. often liquor. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We all, we all know who it is. <laughs> yeah, I've been out to the warehouse a couple of times and. You see all their trucks just all lined up, and it just makes me smile. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> me too. Yeah. yeah. So are you guys involved in the special order process then as well? Or is that more of a niche thing particular to, to the stores? Because I remember having to submit a couple special order tickets, but after that it goes into the void. Yeah. <laughs> on the, it just on the disappears. <laughs> On the store level, uh, store personnel would submit a special order request, and Mm -hmm. it goes to the Liquor Division Central Office. There's a dedicated employee that handles special orders. Gotcha. If it's a product that's been in Idaho before, it's a much easier process. The more information, the better. If someone just walks up and says, it's called Coco Rum, spelled with a K, (laughs) then somebody at the Liquor Division has to Google that brand find who it is, reach out to them to see if it's imported in the U.S., if it's not a U.S. product, who the distributor is, they got to get a price quote, and that can take several months for that process. And there's been times that there's small niche brands out of, let's say, Trinidad Island in the Caribbean. Someone was on Chin tried a rum, and they have no web presence, they have no social media, and the employee at the state spends several hours researching this brand trying to find it and if they can't find it find someone an email address or a phone call then they just have to pass on it i see yeah i think every single special order ticket that i put in was for a rum and it was always that same story i was in the caribbean and i had this and it was blue that's all i can tell you yes exactly so it really helps them if which is really hard for a consumer to understand it really helps them if they know they maybe took a bottle shot yeah. and know the exact name. Even better if they happen to know a NAFCA order code, which is a state control code, mm-hmm. which a consumer wouldn't particularly know what that is. But sometimes we will get random emails and it's like, oh, hey, you're the broker for Mexcore. We know Mexcore, based off their website, has Doña Celia and Yejo tequila. 
never been here before. Can you get a price quote? Boom, we can flip that over really fast and then it can get here really quickly. So it really depends on what someone's looking for and if it's already attached to a broker or not on how fast they can get it. And, and what information the consumer has right. or even the on-premise. Yeah. There's bars and restaurants that they travel or they follow podcasts or social media somehow or another they find out about these brands that are hot in, in Chicago or New York and all of a sudden this restaurant wants it in Boise, Idaho. Mm -hmm. They have to go through that same process of going to the store, they request it. And once that request happens, then as a broker we do step in and that's how we do help with the price quote paperwork with the supplier. We help a little with logistics. That's not what a broker does. But we kind of help that and, hey, add it onto that order that's pending so its shipping costs are low. But it's, it's a process. So if you, as a broker, has the opportunity to bring in this spirit, whatever it is, it's given to you first by the state or does it go through another distributor? Or how do you get involved with that? Does the state come to you? If it's something that's never been here, like Rochelle said previously, if, if a consumer reaches out to us directly, or even a bar or restaurant, I was in the Caribbean, and on vacation I tried this rum, it's not in Idaho. We then will do some of that research, mm. we'll look into that brand, we'll see if there's an importer, or if we can reach out to them directly and say, hey, there's some demand for, the, for your product, we'd like to talk about being your broker and represent you in the state. And then we can present product to the state to get a regular listed item that's on the shelf of every store. Sometimes the state will say yes to that. Sometimes they say no. More so, they say no. Then we do the special order side of it. It's got to be lucrative for the state, too. They're yes not, and no. They're not going to bring in a um, case, are they? Yeah. They yeah, if, 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 if one consumer or one bar says, hey, I want this product, the state's going to order one case. Yeah. Really? Really? Depending what the product is. I mean, there, there's chances that they'll bring in a couple cases, depending if there's a commitment from a bar. But more so or not, they will just bring in one case for that one customer. Wow. Yeah. And then if there's a repeat buy, then they reorder it. you got to remember, with it being a state control uh, liquor, they have to answer to the legislators on budget. Got it. So they've outgrown the warehouse. So they're at capacity. So they don't want to bring in a pallet of some Trinidad rum nobody's ever heard of or a whiskey that's made in you know, the far corner of Nebraska that nobody's ever heard of. Okay. They're not going to bring in a full pallet because they don't have the room. They need the room for mm -hmm. all the products that sell mm -hmm. and have, have proven track records here. Absolutely. So all of that really puts you in a position to be a very big umbrella for a lot of different brands and i know you've touched on a couple of the brands that you that you represent you know we've got grand teton here you mentioned 44 north but what other brands do you guys represent kayo japanese whiskey okay the old pepper distillery out of lexington kentucky oregon spirits out of bend head frame spirits out of butte montana warm reserve bitters company out of boise uh they're a cocktail uh, mixer and bitters company Temple Distilling out of Linwood, Washington. Mexcore Imports, basically a, a Mexican import company out of Houston. So we have a lot of agave products coming through them. Huh. MS Walker's an import company on the East Coast. 
We've got a handful of products from tequila to liqueurs under their portfolio. We've got Amaro's coming out of Italy. Wow. Uh, By the way, to clarify, when he started this business, we had 44 North, but we do not not currently work for them. Oh, okay. Nor Four Roses. Nor Four Roses anymore. Gotcha. (laughs) Sometimes companies get so big and they want to sign with a national national 50 state, you know, so that's the kicker with this business. You do a really good job, and then all of a sudden, you get the rug pulled under you for you know ten percent of every, all the business you do. So it's oh, it's boy. an interesting business. <laughs> yeah, but at this point, you can still laugh a little bit. Yes, absolutely. Sometimes <laughs> it hurts a little bit, you know. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. And Scott forgot to mention Edge, our our newest. Um, is they're down in Boise, it's Edge Brewing Company. Okay. They've made beer for a lot of years, and they started making canned cocktails. They've now branched off into flavored whiskeys. They have four flavored whiskeys, and their wildfire, or sorry, um, they have a wildfire cinnamon whiskey, but their huckleberry whiskey has been the fastest-growing product we've ever gotten into the state in our entire company history, from wow. from zero to where it is now, Wow. Uh, which, is pre- which is pretty impressive, but it's an Idaho brand that's making a huckleberry whiskey. Nobody else is doing that in Idaho, so I think yeah. they kind of have something fun yeah. going on there. And Idaho loves huckleberry. Yeah, huckleberry is yep. one yep. of those things. If you, if, if huckleberry is <laughs> on it, we're there. Yeah, and I think <laughs> it's, it's um, not for the bourbon enthusiast, uh, but you know, but it is kind of for the average Joe that. Yeah. yeah. They like that sweeter, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe the non-whiskey drinkers whiskey. <laughs> Get right. We, of, we've passed. Fun. We've passed through Montana a couple of times, and huckleberries are huge in Montana. Mm-hmm. I mean, yep. you go down the street, and every restaurant has got a sign huckleberry this huckleberry that you know it's just amazing i think it's more uh available in montana than it is here but Probably. whatever Probably. i think it is yeah Probably. yeah so rochelle your path has got to be a little different into brokering yeah. and all yeah. that stuff so your background how did how did you get um, into this well i married scott okay <laughs> <laughs> and he already had this thing going. At the time, it was more of a hobby, I think, than a actual business. And I have a business management degree. And so I came in and I was like, all right, like right, let's stop fooling around with this, like, you know, getting free samples thing from distillers. <laughs> and really turn it, I mean, it was a business, but it wasn't where I just seen a lot of potential. I was like, let's make this a real serious thing, dig our feet into the ground and like, or stop fooling around with it. She wears just kind of a hobby business. And that's what we did. We made a decision to turn it into a real business, and it kind of just took off once we both, at the time, we didn't have kids, so we had a lot more free time every, you know, I had a day job at the time. I did marketing and events with my background. And we'd come home from 5 to 10 every night and do emails, researching brands, you know, how can we grow this business? And we did that for a very, very, very long time. And Scott was doing it full-time, and I was doing it part-time, and we had our first kid. And I decided after that I was not wanting to do my day-to-day job anymore. <laughs> so by the time we were having our second kid, I was like, we better grow this company to where I can quit my day job and do this full-time too, or, or things yeah. ain't going to work around here too. <laughs> and, 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 we, and we were growing as a company and, and needed, needed her on, on the business side. I was running the sales side of it. I... I'm not an admin person. I'm not a paperwork guy. So things were falling through the cracks. So you're a salesman. Yes. Just by the fact you said, I'm not a paperwork guy, 
that obviously means you're a salesman because I've never met a salesman that is a good paperwork guy. <laughs> exactly. And what do I exactly. do for a living? I sell furniture at a furniture store in town. So, so I, I know okay. people. My background is, is not in this either. I, I've been in retail all my life. Okay. One form of management or yeah, another. So, so those early years was a lot of top ramen and bourbon uh, well, that we lived on? Yeah. Uh, I didn't you know, know you could put bourbon in top ramen. <laughs> when I met Scott, he said, what do you like to drink? I'm like, I don't know, like, you know, vodka, whatever. And he's like, no, I'm going to get you into bourbon. And I was like, unlikely. <laughs> but here you <laughs> are. It was like, like wine tasting or anything else. You know, like you try different things and try lots of different things. Mm -hmm. And the more you try it, the more you realize you do have a palate for other things. And yeah. one night we went out there with a supplier and he ordered, I believe, McAllen 12 scotch. And I thought, ooh, I like scotch. <laughs> <laughs> and from there, I kind of developed this palette for scotch. And Scott's like, okay, it's got to be the most expensive stuff, right? And the hardest to get. <laughs> but that, that's where my, I still love scotch. And then from there, it developed into, I figured out I like Japanese whiskey, too. Very, very similar. Uh -huh, uh -huh. You know, also malted barley. So, and I still love those things. That's kind of my, that's why I'm drinking American single malt things. Basically the same mm -hmm. thing. <laughs> and I still I appreciate bourbon a heck of a lot more than way back then. And when I try a good one, I know the difference between a good one and a bad one. It just isn't something that is my go-to. I like it in an old-fashioned. <laughs> I'm not a mixed drinks guy at all. I think I can maybe think of four mixed drinks I've ever had in my life. I got I started them. in bourbon. Four different ones, not four only ever for only ever no he yes. drinks margaritas everyone okay. he oh, drinks but i don't count that well, as a mixed drink you know <laughs> i lived in arizona a long time so <laughs> so anyway i was selling software for a company here in boise and we had a meeting that was held in louisville kentucky a four-day, you know, you've been to those things that they just drone on and on and on, and they have breakout rooms, and you can't escape the hotel. So the promoter had brought in a mini bourbon tour in one of the breakout rooms. So one night they had, a, I don't know, five or six different distilleries, the usual suspects, you know, the Four Roses, the, the Buffalo Trace, the Makers, and, and whoever they were, uh, probably... Brown Foreman and whatever, and that was my first introduction beyond the university years, which we don't talk about because nobody remembers that. <laughs> you don't remember. <laughs> I do remember being face down in the snow once. I don't know why. <laughs> but anyway, that that's how I kind of got involved, and then she was still at university, and uh, uh, we're picking her up one year, and, and I... I ordered a bourbon, and she looks at me and goes, what are you doing? And <laughs> I'd never seen him have one before. He ordered Woodford Reserve. We're at, like, Buffalo Wild Wings and about to drive home from, from Pocatello. And I'm like, well, give me some of that. I want to know what that's all about. And first sip, oh, my God, what, have you, what is that? Why are you doing this to yourself? Well, it hurts. Everything hurts. It's wrong. And here I am now. 
I don't know how many years <laughs> later anymore it that is. following <laughs> Christmas, I was fortunate enough to be picked in the Idaho lottery. I got a Weller Antique and a Weller 12-year and a William LaRue Weller. I got picked for all three. So I... I wow. Yeah. But that, that was back when nobody was doing the lottery yeah, yet. Like, yeah. Yeah. You had a good shot if you put your name right. in the lottery back then. <laughs> So she got to try the antique, and the antique talked to her. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that one is still one of my all-time favorite bourbons. Yeah. I love that one a lot. So how do you guys go about securing new business? That's a loaded question. <laughs> I mean, you, you guys mentioned the, the whole, like, doing the research of these different distillers and all of that. So, but what kind of things are you looking for from a distiller to go... I think that this is going to work. Obviously, we're in the market. We do market research where we read the trend magazines. We see what's going on. To preface this, we get a lot of people reach out to us as well. Okay. And we turn down a lot of brands where it's same thing. And, and I hate picking on certain states, but let's say, you know, the far corner of Nebraska this guy calls us and says, hey, my grandmother lived in Idaho once in her life 30 years ago, so I have a tie to Idaho, and I want to be sold there. Okay, where are you currently sold? Uh, Lincoln, Nebraska. Yeah, you don't have a shot in hell to be in Idaho. Idaho, the way the, the, the liquor board looks at it, they want to see products in, in the surrounding states. Mm -hmm. They don't want to be a launch point for Unless, for, for unless, maybe unless you're an Idaho brand. Yes. Right. That's that, the only yeah, that would make sense. And mm -hmm. so we really, it's taken a long time, but we've really had to figure out what they want. And right now they're on this big celebrity kick of they want celebrity brands. And I'm like, for goodness sakes. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that yeah. only goes so far, right? Yeah. But they do look for products that's sold in the surrounding control markets of Oregon, Wyoming, Utah, Montana. If Idaho's the last man standing of those states, then it's very likely they'll say yes. But if they're the first one, it's very likely they will say no. However, that's not always the case because they also look at marketing plan, marketing dollars. What are you going to do if you come here? They don't want your product to sit on the shelf and collect dust any more than we do because no one's making any money. Mm -hmm. right. So they want bottles that are going to move this last year. So they've really, really wanted to not bring in hardly any new suppliers, but only new products from existing suppliers because okay. to start a new supplier is a lot more work for everyone than to just say, oh, hey, Jamesy Pepper's here. We're going to prove their next lineup item. Mm -hmm. We look at what the state looks at, category, price, liquid in the bottle, label, the category segment. Like Rochelle said, the marketing budget, the marketing plan, the come-to-market strategies. Those are all conversations that we have with the suppliers. I handled the contract negotiations with the suppliers one, being in, in business as long as I have and knowing that this market, I, I ask those right questions. Mm -hmm. And sometimes they've never been asked those questions. Second, we're going on, what, 12 years now as a company? And because we've been successful at launching some big brands that are out now, and the brands that we do have, a lot of our regional brands, small industry that people talk. So we get a lot of referrals. We get people that reach out to us and, hey, you you're the rep for XYZ brand, and they told me to call you. And then again, we, just, we do that research, we have those conversations, we have them shipping samples to the liquor division that we get, that we go and pick up. 
we sample the product. We don't sell anything we can't personally drink. And again, I mean, the vodka is not my choice spirit to go to. Doesn't mean I don't drink. I can't drink it. Mm-hmm. But some of these products that people sent us that are just so out there on a flavor or just the category, if it's from Europe or India or something like that, where I'm like, I, I, I can't pronounce what's on the bottle. We don't have a market for that. We don't have a big population of that demographic in, in Idaho. It's not going to sell here. I just, I, and sometimes I feel bad telling people no. Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, it, it's just business. Yeah. And we don't want to commit ourselves to something and then get, get terminated for not doing our job because we can't give right. it away. So we have to be very selective. The size of portfolio that North Star Spirits has, we try not to overcommit ourselves in the same category. We don't want 25 bourbons in our category that are 25 to $45. We'll pigeonhole ourselves. So we, we're being very selective right now, knowing that there's a few categories that North Star doesn't have representation in. So we're actively looking at those categories to try and find a brand to, to fill that void. And once in a while, we get lucky. There's, believe it or not, the state website, on the Idaho State Liquor Division website, they have a list of brokers. So if someone wants to do business here, that's already got a product in a bottle, ready to go. Maybe they're sold in Washington already in Oregon and they want to come to Idaho. They can look at the website at all their options. And if it's a smaller craft to medium-sized brand, the big guys are going to say no. But they might be like, oh, who's this North Star people? Then they usually go to our website. We actually get lots and lots of compliments on our website. We had an awesome web guy help us out, and he, he made it fun. It's a fun business, so it should be fun, right? Right, of course. Um, and a lot of them like that we're family-owned and operated. Of course, we have a team, too, but we've even had a supplier most recently reach out because they said this company was the only company ahead of women. They have a female CEO, so they liked that there was a female involved, and that was something that was kind of new. That was like, oh, wow, like, that's kind of, you know. <laughs> it is a very male-dominated industry yeah, here. Absolutely, so. absolutely. Yep. We did a, an episode last season. last season about women in the liquor store. I wish we'd have had you there speaking from like the, the, the brokerage side of things. Cause to be honest, that was something we hadn't even really thought about. It was just, you know, my sister and I both walking into uh, a restaurant, a bar, a liquor store, whatever. And just the stereotype that you get as a woman when you order a whiskey at all, how that all goes down. All the bar stools turn. Yeah. You know, it's just, it's, it's not right. <laughs> it's not right, but it's, it's what reality is. And in that same episode, mm-hmm. in our news segment, I focused on three or two or three stories that were woman-centric of the different people that do things. Um, the, the lady that just was recently appointed master distiller at uh, Woodford Reserve. Uh, mm-hmm. And then... Uh, uh, was that Marion Ives? Marion Ives. Yeah. Um, I saw a news story with her a while ago that she she speaks to bourbon clubs. I would love to set something like that up to where someone with that level of expertise could come in and talk to a group of individuals. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's just yeah. to me, it's just amazing. You know, I got two daughters. I, I'm looking that way first, and it's 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 a different way Absolutely. of looking at things. I said that's really cool that you mentioned that, Rochelle, that 
they chose you because you are a woman. You're basically. representing. The only, yeah. the only woman on the entire list, it's got both of our names, but... <laughs> that's yeah. why. That's one of the reasons they called us there. Yeah, we're we're both listed as owner of the brokerage, right? And the regional manager reached out, and and he's like, "Hey, Scott, I'm gonna apologize, but I I called your company because I saw a female name." And I was like, "You don't have to apologize for that." And then then once we found out the brand and that it was a CEO that's a female, then it made more sense. Yes. And we understand that. And yeah, Ro Rochelle's CEO of the company. We have a, a young daughter as well, yep. and I want our daughter growing up seeing that women can run the companies. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. That's a natural segue. <laughs> I'm guessing, Rochelle, you wear lots of hats. Yes. Many, many hats. So what do you do beyond the brokerage portion of the business? You're doing the managing, you're doing the brokerage. So back in 2018, I believe it was, the governor passed a law a new proclamation that July would be Idaho's third month. And since we're in the industry, we were like, ah, that's really cool. Well, nobody did anything about it. None of the Idaho distillers did a darn thing. And I'm like, what the heck? So Scott and I would talk about it a little bit and I'd be like, why isn't anyone doing like, I don't know, like an event or a festival or, you know, you can buy tickets and go to a really cool wine tasting event. And like yeah. Saver Idaho is amazing. We're honest consumers. We love wine when we're not drinking whiskey. <laughs> um, but you can also go to really cool beer festivals in April during, you know, Idaho Beer Month. June is Idaho Wine Month. There's lots of wine events. July is Idaho's Beer Month. Nothing was going down. So Scott was like, why don't you do something then? <laughs> like, okay, challenge accepted. Let's do it. And so, because I said, what if there was this, you know, similar type of event just for liquor, where people can come in and try all kinds of different spirits all in one spot, just like the wine festivals and whatnot, and not have to go to the store and buy, you know, 200 bottles, because most people can't afford to do that. <laughs> mm -hmm. Then they can figure out, wow, I really like this, I don't like this, and, you know, have a good night out with their friends. And so then I launched, um, uh, well, actually, in the beginning of 2019, I started doing a lot of digging and research into this, and I realized why no one had ever done it. It's extremely complicated. At the time, the alcohol beverage control officers and their attorneys were not agreeing with the Idaho State Liquor Division and their attorneys on how they interpret tasting laws to the public at all. And it was making it really difficult to do anything. We already were allowed to do promos inside a bar or restaurant with a liquor license present and that little pop-up events. But that's all we were allowed to do at the time. So after three or four months of going back and forth with them and their attorneys and how they agreed on interpreting the laws in Title 23, they finally said, all right, you can do this event, but you have to do this, 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 and this. And I was like, all right, fine, done, we'll do it. <laughs> so I launched the Bible Hub in 2019. It took so long to get it approved that I think it was March or April. They said yes. And I was like, holy crap, I have to pull this off in like two or yeah. three months by July. And obviously we got 4th of July. I was trying to pick the best weekend. I thought if people are camping during 4th of July, doing their 4th of July outdoorsy stuff, then maybe the next weekend after would be a good time. And after that, you have the rodeo right. and whatnot from then on out. So that was the best weekend. So we've decided to launch the weekend after 4th of July. We've always done that every year. And basically, people come in, they get a ticket. It's all they can sample within reason of whatever they're into. It doesn't have to be whiskey. There's whiskey there. But there could, there's lots of gins, vodka, tequila. We started with, obviously, encouraging a lot of North Star brands to be there because there was a natural connection to the two companies. Mm -hmm. It's a win-win situation. 
but and we started as kind of a craft spirits festival, but the public has demanded more. So now we've got a lot of our competitors are there, sampling all their products. Any of any brand that is sold in an Idaho State liquor store that is liquor, not beer and wine, is, is welcome to be a vendor. And it's been a really fun thing to do to create just a fun experience for people. They come out with their spouse, their 21 plus daughters. <laughs> um, everyone has some food, has some uh, good times, some liquor, and we always do live music. It's a really good time. So very cool. Here we are. So let's uh, shift gears again a little bit and talk about what you guys are drinking. Why'd you pull them tonight? What What do you like about these particular products? Um, I grabbed the Grand Teton Malt Whiskey. It's their first one. They now have a private stock seven-year malt whiskey, which is different. But this one is finished in a Jackson Hole Winery uh, wine barrel for three months. Like three, three to six three months. Three to six months. We had the pleasure of going to the distillery in July this year and spending all the winery and the winery. Nice. <laughs> we got so, to do both and kind of see how they work together, which was really super fun. I like that this they support Idaho agriculture because it's 100% Idaho malted barley, so it is, truly is Idaho in a bottle. Besides the fact that they use the Jackson Hole Winery barrel to finish it off, but I love red wine too. So and it's basically Scotch made in America. I love Scotch. I already said that. So it's kind of like the marriage of scotch and red wine, the best of both worlds, and it's an Idaho brand. So, so what you're is. drinking and what I'm drinking is different then. Is that correct? Is that true? So Do you have yes. the private stock? I have the private stock. Malt? Yes. Seven year? Okay, yes, yes, that's different. Yeah, so that is aged seven years in uh, ex bourbon barrels. Okay. For the, for the all seven years. It's also at 100 proof on the right. private stock. Where the Teton Malt is uh, 80. Okay. I've not seen that one in the stores. Am I just missing it? Yes. Yeah. That's okay. what it looks like. But okay. People okay. Can't see. okay. That one's usually on like the regional shelf. Yep. Yes. Yeah. yeah usually, usually it's on the regional shelf. Yep. Very it is cool. interesting to compare the two because you've got the one finished in the red wine barrel and then that one finished it's in a bourbon barrel so they're even though it starts as Idaho malted barley, they're very different products just because of the barrels that they're using. Right. I really like that one too, though. I, they're both good. <laughs> I am finding myself reaching for American single malts more and more and more. The Old Pepper single malt is a family favorite around here. My sister really mm -hmm. loves that one. That one is one of her favorites when she comes home. Do you want a spoiler alert? Yes. Absolutely. The ISLD just bought an entire pallet of that. It's sitting in their warehouse, and it's about to hit the stores probably anytime now, like maybe next week. Wow. So they've never purchased that much. It's been so popular. There's the demand there, and the distillery happened to get enough that, you know, we begged and pleaded for them to give us more, and uh, we're really excited. That'll be hitting really, really soon. But it is a managed, allocated whiskey, so when it's yep. gone, it's right. gone unless yep. they happen to have more at some point down the road that they can give us <laughs> You know that just in time for Christmas. Yep, in, exactly. In the, in the old retail world, it was one to go and one to show. I often have one to go, one to show, and a backup just in case. <laughs> nice. <laughs> yeah. And Scott, you're drinking some Teton tonight. I'm drinking the the Grand Teton Catamount whiskey, the straight bourbon whiskey. Uh, it is a high wheat whiskey. The benchmark product they were going after was Maker's Mark. Right. It's an 88 proof, 45% wheat. I think it's a just a really good product. 
I like mine, which I'm having the way I always drink it, a couple ice cubes and a couple dashes of Warm Reserve aromatic bitters. Okay. I'm not a big cocktail person either. My palate has evolved and I believe actually got ruined when I had COVID. Oh. I, don't, I, I don't like sweets anymore. I, I have zero sweet tooth, but I like the bitters in old fashions. Okay. Um, when I did used to drink an old fashioned, I would ask for extra bitters. But my palate has kind of evolved into more uh, bitter cocktails. Okay. And we don't have a home bar. We got two little ones running around, so sure. I don't want to do that. So it's just whiskey and bitters. Very nice. With an ice cube. The, you mentioned they're all Idaho products. Is the wheat coming from Idaho? Is it coming from uh, up in the Palouse, or where is it coming from? No, the, the wheat is not. Oh, okay. Um, so, yeah, the Catamount Whiskey, it's an MGP product. Oh, okay. okay. Very nice. I, um, I appreciate that people can say this is coming from XYZ. It's always tough when you have a bottle that says something on the label that you can't distinguish where it's coming from. And then yeah. me doing what I do, I dig in and I research and I find, okay, they say Indiana. They say wherever. Yeah, and the one thing that with even though it is uh, it's distillate from MGP, um, it's aged 100% in Driggs, Idaho, so very high altitude, very extreme weather. Like Rochelle said, we were there in end of July. It was upper 90s, and they'll have about nine feet of snow on the surrounding the the Rick House. Wow! Come mid December. They have huge fluctuation in weather, and with that very, very high altitude and that dry weather, they get a lot of wind coming off of the Teton Mountains, mm -hmm. so they have big, cold blast wind gusts right there at the distillery floor. Even though a lot of people look at certain MGP products and just say, oh, it's MGP, a lot has to do with the water that they're using, which is natural spring water from the Snake River Aquifer here in Idaho. It's the high altitude elevation for aging, the extreme weather. So it's a very unique product being aged 100% for its life in Idaho. So. I didn't know anything about that one. I, 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 I can't, I remember seeing the malted one in stores. I don't remember seeing the catamount though. Is that one kind of new? No. Maybe, maybe no, 119 just hasn't really had a whole lot of that. It's often in the regional rack and not always in the whiskey rack. Right. And I, I think that does a little bit of a disservice to the brand because when I'm in liquor stores, we do something we haven't mentioned is we do liquor store tastings inside the stores. Yeah. They passed a new law during COVID, which went into effect May of last year. And mm -hmm. so as a company, that's something else we do that's new-ish to this industry, which is amazing for consumers to be able to try new things. The, the, those are a big thing in those stores. Every single time we'd have anybody come in, whatever prop you have, the energy that you have at your little booth. I mean, the excitement's there and people are always, oh, okay, oh, yeah, sure, I, I, I guess I'll try. You know, <laughs> you pulled my leg. It's, and, and then right. all of a sudden they're going, where is that on the shelf? So it, it's, yeah. it's really cool to see that kind of movement. It, it is. I mean, uh, it, it it took several years, what, 70 years, uh, for this for Idaho to get on board with stuff like this. And, and again, at everything, government agency, it has to go through the legislators. Yeah. And I actually testified in front of Congress on the Senate floor 
to help pass that law. The first year it got denied, and they asked for a rewrite because they wanted some clarification on some stuff. So they went back the next year and had a lobbyist. And as a broker that knew this would benefit us in these small craft distilleries, I mean, let's be honest, a lot of people are very set in their ways and, and they know their routine. They walk in the store, they don't even look around, they know exactly where their product is on the shelf. And if it's not, they have a tantrum. Yep. Um, <laughs> yep. But in, 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 in this craft brand can be right next to, you know, one of the big international bourbons. And this is right on the shelf. It may be more expensive. It may not be. Mm-hmm. And they're not willing to give it a try. Right. Over the years, just like everything, it takes time. The craft spirits movement, you know, we were piggybacking on the craft brewery movement of 20 years ago. And with the explosion of bourbon the last 10, mm-hmm. 15 years, a lot of brands started coming out that were very, very young and not not palatable for the most part. I mean, they, yes. there was a lot of just not good product out there. So they took that gamble once on a craft brand and realized, Oh God, no, I'm going to go back to my XYZ brand that I, my great grandfather used to drink and I know it. <laughs> and they passed up the craft brand. Right. So this opportunity for store tastings has really opened the eyes of craft spirits to the general public. Absolutely. Right. We've talked a little bit about States and things like that. Many people don't realize that there's something called a three-tier system that's out there. Essentially, that means that manufacturers are providing the distilled spirits to wholesalers. Manufacturers can't be wholesalers. And the wholesalers are distributing to the retailers. Wholesalers can't retail. And then the retailers are selling to the customers, be it through bars or liquor stores or what have you. Essentially, all states have liquor control. Some people say, you know, we're, we're not in a liquor control state. Well, all states are controlling liquor. But 33 yeah. states have adopted a licensing model allowing retailers to sell beer, wine, spirits, whatever, through their outlets. Largely driven by major retailers like Kroger and Costco and what have you. The remaining states... Idaho being one of them. Uh, We're state controlled. Everything is sold through a state liquor store. There's uh, stores back east, but all of the surrounding states around Idaho, with the exception of Washington, are ABC or alcohol beverage control states. I bring this up because how does that work for you guys? I mean, where do you fit into this equation? I mean, we kind of touched on it earlier as, as kind of what a broker does. Mm-hmm. We're the, the liaison between the supplier and the, the state. The manufacturer, the distillery, what we call the supplier, they manufacture the product. It gets shipped to Idaho. They own it while it's warehoused here. The state doesn't do the delivery, so they're not the, deliver, the distribution system. Then it gets delivered to the state liquor store, and it's sold through the state liquor stores. There are uh, roughly 68, 70 state-owned liquor stores where there's state employees that work at those locations. And then there's about 100 to 110 uh, what we call contract liquor stores. 
and those are businesses that have a contract with the state to act as a liquor store. With Idaho being predominantly a rural state, you know, it, it, it's a gas station, it's the local market, right. it's a bait and tackle shop, uh-huh, uh-huh. and they have a little section of liquor. That section, let's say it's a 10 by 10 in their grocery store, that 10 by 10 under contract, quote unquote, is owned by the state. All that product is owned by the state. They just have a contract to sell it and act as a state agency for that purpose. Have you ever worked outside of a state-controlled liquor And only in Anheuser-Busch in Texas. How about here? Have you worked in Washington? Do you sell in Washington? Do you sell anywhere outside of Idaho? No. As the North Star Spirits brokerage, uh, they only cover Idaho as a, uh, okay. for brokerage. When I worked for, previously before I owned the company, when I worked for somebody, we had Idaho, Washington, Oregon. But Washington was control, was ABC controlled back then because uh, that was pre uh, two thousand twelve. Right. Right. Uh-huh. right. But yeah, since since it's been a, a licensee state or a licensed state, no, I have not worked in any of those states. Okay, fair enough. That brings certain challenges you have to deal with. So, <laughs> what are some yes. of the challenges you go wow, and you know how do you overcome those challenges? Um, everything we do is wow. (laughs) It's very frustrating to be, I think, I always thought I would be an entrepreneur and Scott never did. And someone that has that entrepreneurial spirit and drive, it's very frustrating. Hopefully no other people are listening to this. (laughs) Uh, It's very frustrating to work with a control state because you're limited on what you can do. And we can push all day long to the bars and restaurants and that's a different ballgame. But to have one person or one board of people with a boss that can veto everything is very frustrating because we can submit 10 or 20 products to them and maybe get one approved. And the process of doing all the paperwork to get one product submitted is like buying a car, like the paperwork pile. Not not as bad as buying a house, but it's at least as bad as buying a car. It's about four to to six hours of paperwork per product. A lot more than that. And (laughs) that doesn't... Yeah, he doesn't do paperwork. <laughs> and so we say in a year we submit 100 products, we might get 10% approved, if we're lucky. Sometimes only 5%. It's a lot of no's to get a yes. And a lot of times we think we know them well enough now that we're like, all right, this one's going to be the slam dunk. And then they say no, and we're like, oh. Or, and then they know, say yes to something that something we're like. random that we thought, oh, wow, well, that didn't have a shot. There. There's no way in hell they're going to say yes. And then, all and then of they say yes, and it's just, sometimes what? they surprise us, even though we think we know them so well after all these years. It's, it's just very frustrating to have a cap on how you do business, whereas in the private sector, I'm sure it's a little bit different, but that's working with government, right? I mean, the, <laughs> one of the biggest things we hear from the general public, whether it's consumers or bar restaurant, is why can't I get this product or why do we only have four options on the shelf? Yeah, we'd get those questions I, too. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. And it's, it, it, that, that is the biggest issue. Again, being in it so long and, and seeing people rise up in positions with the state and retire and then new blood and Everyone brings something different to the table. I, I respect what the Idaho Liquor Division does. Previous administration ran it like their personal liquor cabinet. 
the the current director that we have realized no this is a business runs it like a business i've seen multiple changes over the last probably yeah eight years maybe that have been for the good but like rochelle said the biggest drawback is it's a board and the director has the final say the committee can say yes we should sell this product in idaho and he woke up that day and didn't have coffee or something and said no. <laughs> okay. And that's just, I mean, that's how it is. And, and we've, there's product, they're sold in all the, all the surrounding states, including Canada. We've submitted the sales numbers. They're, they're doing well over 100 cases per state, if not more. And Idaho just chooses not to say yes to it because of the category segment that it's in or what have you. That's the, the biggest frustration we have. So I'm going to go back to uh, SIP Idaho. You mentioned earlier that you've done some classes. What kind of classes are you doing? So we started off as just the tasting festival. Because I was in the event planning and marketing industry before this, so I kind of knew what to do. But I never did anything in the liquor industry, for goodness sakes. But starting this was a whole, like, big gamble on is this going to work or not. I thought it was a good idea. <laughs> and thank goodness to all our you know, wonderful vendors and all the people that come to the events, or we wouldn't have a business. But we now do classes during the daytime before the big festival in Boise. Started with two, I believe it was, the first year or two, and this last year we had three. So people can do this all-day Boise experience package where they, you know, this year we did actually a World of Whiskey classes featuring some North Star brands, but some competitor brands, so people could try the difference between a scotch and a Japanese and a Canadian and American bourbon and compare what are what's the difference and Scott actually taught taught that class he's a wonderful public speaker I I hate doing that kind of stuff so <laughs> he he just knows <laughs> uh, we brought in a master uh, a tequila brand owner a distiller and his father started the company in Mexico he now is the son uh, runs it and lives in the U S the father passed away so we brought him up to teach a really nice high end tequila class that was a lot of fun. Uh, we did a mixology class in the past. We did a cooking with whiskey class this year. We actually, yep, we had a local chef do that. This last winter season, I thought we should do something to kind of keep our local people engaged and interested and not just have the once a year event. So we did a series of pop-up classes, January, February, March, April this year, just exploring different things. We did a Right around Valentine's Day, we did a vodka exploration class with a bunch of comparisons of different vodkas. We did a Japanese whiskey class, and let's talk about Japanese whiskey. What is it? Let's try up a bunch of different Japanese whiskeys and compare them. We paired them with chocolate. Everyone comes in with a welcome cocktail. Really fun, more intimate experience. I really like those because we have a really nice following now of people that come to those classes. There's always newbies, too. But it's fun to see people get passionate about spirits in general and want to learn more there's definitely a thirst for that and i think a lack of that in the industry i would love to do more with that but because we have two businesses and two small children yeah yeah just the the, li the limitations we have we can't do these events anywhere there has to be a liquor license president right, right, because right. it's a paid ticket event right so it, it's finding a a business or location with a license or even if they don't have a license, pull a catering permit from an existing right. bar right. Uh, that we have the relationship with. And Rochelle teamed up with a, a chocolate company 
That's oh, a good license. move. That's a great move. <laughs> I approve of that. <laughs> yeah. So, like you said, it, it, it was a, a chocolate pairing. I, I taught the series of classes. PowerPoint presentation, big screen, walk everybody through the history of the distillery, the spirit, whether it was tequila or whiskey or Japanese. Like, let's do a background on the, on the brand, the product in general in that category. We would sample the first one, and then the chocolatier would come up, and, and we had given them samples prior. Right. So they personally, individually paired each chocolate with that spirit. And if they didn't have anything to pair with it, they would get those tasting notes, and then he developed a chocolate truffle specific for that tasting. Wow. Um, <laughs> so he would get up, and then he would talk about why he chose that chocolate and what the tasting notes brought to him. And then people would sit there and indulge on their little chocolate truffle, and then we would move on to the next spirit. And oh, we usually did four or five products on, on the on the tasting flight. And then there's always a advertise. Whatever we're doing, there's an unadvertised, like, final rare whiskey or rare Limited tequila, edition. Limited edition paired with a specialty. Finish it off. We always like to do something that's non-advertised at the end, and that's always fun. And then people can stay afterwards and have more cocktails or buy chocolates or whatever they want to do. And then raffle off some swag yeah. and glassware and Very all sorts cool. of giveaways. <laughs> so I was going to say, you guys mentioned advertising. So where do people go to sign up for events like these or find events and classes like these? She's not on Facebook. I, I don't do Facebook anymore. I, I gave it up. <laughs> it got scary. That's so okay. I just I, I walked away. <laughs> she's she's too young. Related event. <laughs> <laughs> I live on for, Twitter. For both Sip Idaho and North Star, we do email newsletters. Or North Star does a once a month email newsletter where we have all the events we're doing okay whether it's just a liquor store tasting they are not allowed by law the idaho state liquor division to advertise any of the tastings that are going on but if people want to find out about any of the north star tastings they can just go to our website sign up for our once a month non-spammy newsletter but it does have all whether it's a bar promo a liquor store tasting or any kind of pop-up event a dinner pairing whatever we might be doing it's always in there North Star Spirits, Idaho. I was just going to ask. Thank you. Yeah, perfect. <laughs> yeah. Shameless and then plug. SipIdahoEvent.com. Yeah. Yeah, if any, yeah. And then SIP does its own stuff. So they're called SIP Presents, the classes that we do. And that's just SipIdahoEvent.com. The kicker with that is I now produce three SIP Idahos every year. So in the spring, we do SIP Idaho North and Coeur d'Alene, the classic SIP Idaho Boise event every summer in July. And then we just launched the Idaho East and Idaho Falls. We just got off. That was Saturday. <laughs> For the first time ever. And let me tell you what. Like, those guys showed up. Like, I could not believe. Really? How many people came really? in Idaho Falls. You're thinking Mormon country. No, we sold more tickets to that event almost three times what we did the first year in Boise, which nobody knew us then. So that's understandable. And at least twice uh, what we did to Idaho North the first time. And uh, it was a wild, raging success. Super, super fun. But I, those people, there's not just Mormons there. There's a lot of people that like to drink, and they drink. <laughs> I, I, uh, we had a great time. It was a huge success. We'll absolutely be going back. My long-term vision when I started Sip Idaho was to do start with the Boise event. We live here. It's easy to pull off. Right. And then eventually do a North Idaho. I'm from Coeur d'Alene. I was born and raised up there. And I, it was like, you know, I'm like, it's, I, I have to take this to my hometown. So then we did that. And then my long-term vision was always to have something in eastern Idaho as well. So people that are local to each region have their own events. 
I started the pop-up classes here in the Boise Eagle area during the off-season when not as much is going on just to kind of keep our local people kind of entertained sure. and active. But the trouble I run into is we have both companies, and I do have a female admin assistant for SIP. Um, so SIP Idaho is 100% woman-owned and operated. Woo-hoo. Scott just gets drug into it as a helper because he's married to me. Just like he drug me into more shirts. <laughs> Originally, so. Yeah. No, but it's a win-win situation. Sure. <laughs> so, Not that we don't love our men. We have yeah. we have a male uh, sales rep and all that uh, for North Star, but... <laughs> so you we mentioned the, the chocolate and the spirits. I'm from Wisconsin, and I have a cousin who is kind of high up in the dairy board. They, two years ago, released pairings of, of whiskeys and cheeses. Have you ever had Parmesan cheese and bourbon? If you haven't, go buy some Parmesan cheese, some good Parmesan cheese, and have it with bourbon. It will blow you away. It's pretty good. Really? The, really. The saltiness. We've done whiskey and cheese pairings. A lot of them. Yeah. I, just, I don't think... Parmesan cheese is salty. Yeah, the the salt yeah. is super good with the sweet of bourbon. I also do like bourbon and popcorn just for the salt sweet combo. But having Parmesan cheese and bourbon, you know, you just feel a little bit more classy. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, Over I the popcorn anyway. Whiskey and popcorn all the time when we're watching a show. I, it's <laughs> so <laughs> good. It's so under. Nobody knows about this, and every time. <laughs> Of a product, you're gonna feel guilty. <laughs> I, I'm not, like I said, I'm not a big sweets person. We just got through Halloween. Pillage my kids' candy. I, I do the, the Skittles and Starburst. I like more the, the, the fruit flavored candy that's not as sweet. Me too. Yeah. Like, and I'm also not a flavored whiskey guy, but popping a couple Skittles and then a pour of bourbon. Oh. <laughs> you know, like, it, it's like it, it's like doing a flavored whiskey in your mouth. It's, yeah, it's there you go. I wish Elora was here tonight because when she's reviewing bourbons, about half the bourbons she reviews, she tastes grape skittles in them. Yeah. She just she's she picks that up in it. She just gets that, or she'll say, or, or huh. she, I don't like this one because it's orange skittles, and she doesn't like orange <laughs> things, artificial orange. <laughs> Awesome. <laughs> so she's got the best palate of all of us and she's tasting stuff i've never even dreamed of tasting yeah really fine-tuned so let's get to hannah here she's drinking some grand teton private stock straight bourbon yep i okay so i'm just gonna give my thoughts on this i'm really really liking this and i'm not just saying that because you guys are here okay so i i i'm really not i don't do that nonsense i promise so yeah i like the forward sweetness on this like the the corn is right there the caramel's right there it's easy to just latch onto and go but then at the back there's a heat to this and it's really nice I'm, I'm, I'm looking at the vitals just to make sure I do know what I'm talking about here and seeing that it's a hundred proof so that proof comes in right at the back and just cuts through all of the sweetness at the front and I'm really liking that. There's like a teeter-totter kind of going on on the palate here. And I don't normally get that out of out of bourbons. And I'm I'm really enjoying that. That's a new level of complexity for me. It's a fairly high rye too at that 21%. That's probably rye. why I also really love it. it. I love rye. 
I love the spice and the freshness that rye brings to the table. So anytime I'm having a rye or a, a heavily rye bourbon, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty much always in love. <laughs> yeah, so that was a series that Grand Teton started three years ago uh, was the private stock edition. The first year was a private stock 100% corn using 100% Idaho corn. They're all at 100 proof. The second year was the eight-year private stock bourbon, what which Hannah, that's what okay. you drink is the, the eight-year bourbon, which is our high rye bourbon. Mm -hmm. And then this year for 23 was the private stock single malt, which we kind of discussed a little bit yep. ago, 100%, uh, seven years aged in bourbon barrels. And then next year, I'm not at liberty to say what is coming out, <laughs> but I know what it is. <laughs> and when I'm at the distillery in December, I have been told I get to try it fresh out of the barrel. Very, very I'm, excited. I, I'm, I'm envious of you, and I am drinking that uh, <laughs> private stock. So, what are you? What are you thinking of that one? I like this. I like it a lot. It's 100% Idaho malted barley. Where is the malted barley coming from? Do you say Idaho Falls. Idaho, Idaho Falls. So it's in the immediate area there. And yes. it, instead of going into the beer of all of the uh, the beer breweries that are over there, you guys are siphoning some off? Is that how that's working? Yeah. Can't say who. Yeah. <laughs> who we're buying from, but if anyone knows uh, the eastern side of the state, there's a large uh, brewery that owns a barley field and barley plant, and we are Grant Don's purchasing from them. Very nice. It, Including it, plus... And it's not 100% barley from that specific company. There are some local farmers they are sourcing from as well. Very nice. They're part of the, they also make an Idaho potato vodka, so they're part of the Idaho Potato Commission. They're part of the, what's it called? Idaho Barley Commission. Yeah, there's, yeah, there's actually a commission for all these things. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, so it's kind of cool because even when you're drinking it in the back of your head, you can kind of think like, wow, like I'm helping local people have jobs. Yeah, you know, absolutely. Exactly. Cool. <laughs> Like Rochelle mentioned, we were just in Idaho Falls last weekend for SIP, and I had some sales accounts to go visit and drove by one of the farms that we source our barley from. So it was kind of nice to be able to drive by and know exactly that's the field I'm looking that's at that it. our barley's coming from. That's really cool. I know very little about scotch. What I know about scotch is what from the five or six videos that we've watched. We watch that, a lot of documentaries. We watch a lot of documentaries. <laughs> yep. uh, Water of Life. <laughs> yeah. yeah. There was one, I think the Water of Life was the one that kind of featured Brook Lottie, mm -hmm. the distillery and, mm -hmm. and the master mm -hmm. distiller that went through all of that. When they're making an American single malt, tell us about the malting process. I mean, that's a, that's a big deal. They don't use peat because we don't have peat. Right. So right. that's going to be the big difference yeah. of any American single malt versus peaty scotch. So right. most American single malts would taste like a Highland single malt scotch that's not using peat. Yeah. So it's not going to have that smoky factor. Um, so it is floor malted, okay. um, which is the traditional way in Scotland to, to malt the barley. Tell us what floor what? malting is. I mean, that, I'm sure there's a lot of people who've never heard of such a thing. So essentially there's a, a big kiln underground and then a big old metal floor right on top of it. Just think of like a dance floor in a bar, a country western bar. And beneath that dance floor would be 
a big kiln that's just cooking. Just and they just throw the barley right on top of that floor and it starts starts cooking, it starts malting. And then they have workers out there that kind of just shovel it around and mix it up and make sure it's all getting mixed up and cooked. And that's essentially malting barley. It's you're, you're just cooking the cooking the barley. Very labor intensive. Very labor intensive. Yes. You you basically are cooking it till it till it about germinates. And then that's when you stop because that's when you want the sugar. That's when you get the sugars from the barley. Right. And then that turns in on your uh, for fermentation. Is that what you? That's what you need for fermentation. Well, mill mill first, turn it into yep. a really fine 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 grain. Yep. Then yes, then turn it into basically distiller's beer. Then throw it to a still. Then put it in a barrel. <laughs> yeah. Very complicated process. Yeah. yeah. And then you finally get some great whiskey eventually. <laughs> you get great whiskey. I. Uh, recommend this go out and buy a well, thank you a box i mean i i i say a box it comes in a cardboard box it comes it comes in a box yeah <laughs> yeah it's, it's boxed whiskey how about that <laughs> there you go so yeah we're, we're pretty proud of it yeah so uh, how much do you want to share about grand teton <laughs> we've been the broker uh in idaho for grand teton distillery for about seven years now. We have a great relationship with the family. We've spent several trips out in Driggs. We've been to the distillery quite a bit. It's all family owned and operated. I mean, they do have some outside investors, but it was a husband and wife that started it. Their son is the distiller. Daughter-in-law is the operations manager. Their eldest son is the vice president of operations. The VP came to me earlier this year and asked if I knew anybody that would be interested in a new position they were creating, area sales manager. Uh, essentially, it's a five-state manager. I didn't know anybody at the time, and I had a talk with uh, Andrew and said, you know, I would be interested in this position. A couple back and forth and meetings with the board and the family and everything, uh, they offered me a position of area sales manager for Grand Teton Distillery. I took the position, gave 100% of the reins of North Star Spirits to Rochelle. So instead of just the admin side, she's now the sales manager. Yay! Uh, like, I, like you don't have I enough hats. Like I don't have enough for going on already. Yeah, it's been a little while. She wanted to be an entrepreneur, so I just gave it all. Okay. Um, We're still 50-50 on paper. Yeah, like I mean, yes. Legally, I still own the company. I am an advisor to the company. I'm the board of directors. Uh, I still oversee the sales side. I sit in on contract negotiations still. She'll run stuff by me. She'll ask for my input. But I am the area sales manager for Grand Teton Distillery. Very cool. But, but we slowly worked on hiring this office coordinator, too, who over time has taken a lot off my plate of what I used to do. So she's now, she's very detail-oriented, and I actually really do hate doing the state paperwork. It sucks. <laughs> she's been uh, taking all that detail-oriented stuff that I don't like to do off my plate, so I can do more owner stuff and contract negotiations with suppliers, that kind of thing that Scott always did. And this has been a big old process of, you know, months and months and months. But it's been, uh, we would love to hire someone to be a uh, sales manager role for North Star, but the problem is, we want them to be a sales rep first and prove themselves as a seasoned sales rep of like, hey, I've been my boots on the ground. I've done this. And I've done it for long enough that I've 
I've really shown you guys that I've earned that position versus just bringing someone in as a sales manager that thinks they know it all already. And that's been a struggle with this labor market to find sure. that right yeah, person. I imagine. But hopefully we'll figure that out eventually. It'll yeah. happen. We're, lots of changes. Yeah. It'll happen. We've been talking whiskey for a while. What do you guys do for fun? Who has time for that? I drink whiskey. Yeah, fun. <laughs> For me, uh, since Rochelle's taking a sip, um, <laughs> like we've mentioned several times, we've got two young kids. Our son is our oldest. He's six. So on the weekends, trying to be the dad and have fun with him and watch football and auto racing and all sports. So like to just, especially now with fall and, and winter coming, just like to sit and watch some football on the weekends and relax with my son. Took me to Boise State Football Athletic Museum several weeks ago. So he's a huge Boise State Bronco fan. He wants to go to Boise State and play. So every time they play football, he does push-ups every time they score a touchdown because <laughs> he's getting fit for football. But outside of that, as a family, we like to camp and use the natural hot springs of Idaho and explore this great state. I get to do a lot of it on the sales side when I'm out. Mm-hmm which is kind of nice because I get to hunt for nice spots to go visit. And then, uh, you know, the month later, take the family out for a nice little weekend getaway. Yeah. The places I've discovered. Yeah. I was just at Golden Fork last weekend, and that was the first time oh, I'd I ever been to Fork. Golden Fork. I'd been to Lava before, but that was my first Golden Fork experience, and that was a really good time. Really beautiful Golden Fork's a good one. Yeah. Loved that. So when you're over in eastern Idaho, it's been years now, and you're on that business trip that just got a little long, and you've got your seven-piece uh, four-weight fly rod stuffed in your briefcase. Um, head, head out of Idaho Falls to the west, I think on 26, towards uh, the corner where they, they, they have the square ice cream in Irwin. Irwin yeah. yeah, out that way. Irwin? Go just, yeah, go just a little bit further. There's Palisades Creek. It go, go north just outside of Irwing. Yep. And you can walk along Palisades Creek and just wash all your cares away. I mean, really? yes, it's it's uh, plenty of uh, cutthroat trout. Um, I caught the biggest cutthroat trout I've ever caught out of a tiny creek that shouldn't hold a fish that's 18 inches long and and I'm all by myself it's just it's an amazing little wow. trip it's like 56 minutes out of town yeah it's pretty nice wow okay. P- pretty nice um, yeah the, I, I've had the opportunity with with business trips and, and work stuff different events we've done we did a big event in Stanley several years ago when we were still working with Four Roses we had master distiller Brent Elliott come to Idaho did a bottle signing uh, in a liquor store, met with the state, and then we were doing a big charity event up at, in Stanley for the Sawtooth Society. Mm. And they hooked us up with an outfitter. We went to Silver Creek, so we were able to take Brent Elliott out to Silver Creek, uh, go fishing, went to Peekaboo. A friend of mine came up and guided us through Peekaboo during the, the Green Drake Hatch. Yeah. Uh, was the weekend we were there. That is the most frustrating place I've ever fished. I've caught, <laughs> I've hooked multiple big fish, but they're smart. They just get underneath the weeds and they just yep. break you off. 
They just know right what to do. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I was going to say, the best day that I think I've ever had in my life was several years ago. Hannah, I used to take her fishing when she was still toddling. I had a backpack. I'd put her in my mm -hmm. backpack. And I would. she would fall asleep from the rocking action. And then she'd wake up. And then I'd put her on the ground. And then she'd get back in the backpack. Well, several years ago, one day she came to me and said, Dad, let's go fishing this weekend. I don't even know if I caught fish. I was floating on the water the whole time because she took me fishing. What a, what a, a great day. day. That was a good day. The profile picture on our website of him is one that I took of him that day. Of yeah. him just like, oh, nice. whole moment, yeah. throwing the On my rod. review page. Yeah. Yeah, and I've had the opportunity to, to fish up in Henry's Fork a few times. Yeah. Um, for some different charity events we've done, fished Millionaire's Pond. First time I ever had a fly rod in my hand was Millionaire's Pond with an outfitter. Yeah. Because I was in the industry and we were yeah. there for an event. We had three hours to kill and he's like, hey, let's go fishing. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> there um, you go. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But I, I, I bass fish with my dad. Um, that's something I do. Yeah. Obviously, when we camp, I fish with my yeah. son. Sure. Um, so that's, that's one of my, my favorite things to do is fish. Rochelle, what do you do? What do you like well, we to do? We got a toy during COVID. We got a razor, which has been very fun. We got a four seater, so we can we put probably illegal car seats in the back for the kids. But <laughs> <laughs> they're in a car seat. They're, they're in a car seat. I don't know if they're supposed to do that on an off road vehicle, but we like to do that now. Uh, we love from in May and June. We go morale hunting up in the mountains. That's a fun thing to do in Idaho. We got more and more. I I've gotten more and more into foraging. I just tried to go out the kids along. <laughs> I think it's cool to go find your own food and then like you know bring it back. So the kids we huckleberry pick in August and uh, we we love the Idaho mountains. I mean there's just so much to do. Like Scott said, I got him into hot springing. He's oh. never even been to an Idaho hot springs, and I was like, oh my goodness, like I'm from Idaho. Like we'll go up in the mountains. I'll be like, oh look, wild raspberries and this and that and he's like how do you know that she starts like, eating stuff you can't just eat berries on the road <laughs> whatever you know and i'm like he's like how do you know this i'm like i'm an idaho native like i grew up here like this is how i grew up and that's how i want my kids to grow up like i think that's just kind of cool you know and yeah he he's a native californian so yeah he didn't have that experience growing up but his parents live here too now and they're amazing people they have a boat, and they let us use it in the summer if we don't destroy it. So mm -hmm. we like to do that, go up to Lucky Peak or wherever sometimes on the random weekends. And yeah. during the winter, we hibernate a little more and, you know, watch movies when the kids go to bed yeah. and stuff like that. But yeah. <laughs> like everyone else. Up you above know. Pine Featherville, you know where Pine and Featherville are? Yep. Mm -hmm. uh, on mm -hmm. the north end of uh, Anderson Ranch Lake yeah. mm -hmm. Reservoir. Mm -hmm. Uh, the Upper South Fork, as you go yes. back beyond Baumgartner, Baumgartner and the Hot Springs and all the way through there, there is the largest huckleberry patch that I've ever come across. There were so many huckleberries that we left about five times more than we picked in five days of camp. I mean, it was just massive. And I, the whole time we're there, I'm thinking, why aren't there bears here? Because there are so many huckleberries <laughs> that they should just be. There would be some huckleberries. Yes, they, yes, exactly, exactly. Uh, and Do you want to hear a really cool bear story? Yes. Sure. 
God will tell it really fast. <laughs> so only in Idaho. Up in that area, we were in Atlanta, Idaho. Yep. Camping over Labor Day weekend several years ago. We rented a Forest Service cabin. So it's very remote, built by the CCC back then. In the 1930s. Mm-hmm. And uh, had my had my truck up there, had a bonfire that night, went to bed in the cabin, woke up the next morning, saw the door of my truck open, thought somebody had gotten into the truck. Um, because my purse was strewn yeah, all the way around. Yeah, her, her, par- her, her purse was on the dirt driveway, so I thought we got broken into, uh, which we did, uh, by a bear. Because <laughs> uh, I didn't lock my truck because we're in the middle of nowhere. And right. it pawed at my door, got the door handle, popped it open, and gutted the interior of my pickup truck, going after a Dixie cup full of rich crackers my kid left in the car seat. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm not. Yeah. I'm not going to say where. Only in Idaho. That's yeah. yeah. I'm not going to say where my daughter is going to college. However, they have weekly bear sightings on the university campus. And they call it bear aware. Be bear aware. Be bear aware. <laughs> Outside of her music building, there was a bear in a tree not far from her car. <laughs> they have deer on campus, and the other day she sent me a picture of a uh, of a turkey eating French fries in the McDonald's parking lot. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. She didn't even know it was a turkey at first, because... Yeah. You don't see turkeys at McDonald's. It's just <laughs> no, not really. But anyway. I mean, we'll see them on the outskirts in fields and whatnot, but never yeah. in you know. Yeah. And it was a fat hen. So. Eating yeah. French fries. Yeah. Yep. Eating French fries. So. That'd be an interesting Thanksgiving turkey. Yeah. It's already <laughs> greased on the inside. Yeah. Right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Got a bit of salt to it. Yeah. <laughs> My first news story tonight is U.S. drinkers are craving direct-to-consumer spirits. So you might have wondered how come I brought out that distribution method that states have. Well, this, I don't want to say laughs in the face of that, but uh, for the second year in a row, uh, a study was done and more than 80% of regular spirits drinkers believe U.S. laws need to be updated to allow direct-to-consumer shipping. There are eight states that are currently doing this. Alaska, Arizona, Kentucky, Nebraska, New Hampshire, North Dakota, Rhode Island, and Vermont, along with uh, District of Columbia, are allowing liquor distribution directly to consumers. I don't know how they're getting around the laws. Because in theory, you shouldn't be able to sell through the three-tiered system. 47 states do allow interstate wine shipping. You know, we we all know that you can buy wine online from multiple different Mm -hmm. places. Has to do with the alcohol percentage in the bottle, I assume. There is a company called Sovos Ship Compliant that is urgently following the laws and making sure the distillers are following the laws, the retailers are following the laws, but they're the ones that did this study. And they said that 87% of craft spirits drinkers 
want to be able to purchase online. In 2023, 81% said that they would do so once a month and spend more than $100 on each purchase that they made. That's a lot of money. And 75% would say they would sign up for a distillery subscription if they had the ability to buy X number of bottles whenever. What do you guys, from your business perspective, think about that? I believe, Scott can correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe in the last legislative session last year, they tried, they attempted to pass a law here in Idaho where the Idaho distillers only would be able to ship direct to consumers and it failed, correct? Mm -hmm. And so if the right lobbyists and money and all that gets behind it, it's possible that could pass in the future, maybe next year or the year after. But the Idaho Fillers Association mm -hmm. really needs to be behind that, and they haven't been doing a lot. Okay. So my thought on it is, it, in working for Grand Teton now and in talking with them, they get maybe three emails a year from somebody in Idaho trying to purchase product. I was one of those three. <laughs> because people know the law and they know they can't. Yeah. Well, right. yeah. with the growth of Idaho and a lot of people from out of state moving here, they don't know that law. Is a broker side with Northstar, I'm kind of against it because then it kind of puts us out of business a little bit. <laughs> but I, I, I'm surprised at those numbers being so high. Especially yeah. on the craft spirit side and committing yeah. to a cake, like I think those I, people are buying. If they are willing to spend a hundred dollars, they're looking for like Taylor and Blantons and all that stuff. Exactly. Yeah. 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 I mean, it, but but to do a, a, a distillery subscription, like I, I think those numbers. I mean, it, I I wasn't pulled. Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, everybody yeah. <laughs> says, oh, yeah, sure, I'd do a subscription for, but obviously, if I had this opportunity, and I think a lot of people just say that to try to push, uh, yes, please, let's make this happen. I have no intention of subscribing. Yeah, you know? yeah. could be. It's, could it, it's just one of those things, I think. I personally, yes, I, I think. I mean, alcohol is one of the most regulated items in, in the country. Absolutely. It is a controlled substance. The, Absolutely. the shipping is, it's a nightmare. So I, I see where the, the country, the federal government, regulate it so much, but I think some laws, specifically in Idaho, because uh, we live here, need to get revisited because they were written in 1934. we got to get with the times. Yeah, I mean, right. malls yeah. are closing. Amazon, it, uh, all yeah. the online stuff's blowing up. Like, absolutely. Yeah. I think the post office should be delivering liquor. Yeah. Yeah, we we all struggle with how do I get liquor to my daughter in? Wait, I can't say that. Can I? <laughs> <laughs> well, it, 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 and, and like like we talked earlier, and, and Hannah was was specific on it was the special orders. Yeah. 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 I was on vacation in in. California, and I, I was in Santa Cruz and tried Santa Cruz vodka. I would love to have it here. It's my favorite, but they don't sell it here. I would love to get on their, their website or an online liquor store website and buy it and have it shipped to my house, if yeah. that's specifically what I want. Yeah, exactly. And I think in, in 2023, 
we should be doing that. Yeah. I I personally just the the, the numbers that that were from that poll. I I. I personally think they're a little inflated. For sure, it's a niche I, I, market. Yeah. yeah. Oh, it's absolutely a niche market. Yeah. I mean, I, it, at the end of the day, I, I still like going to the store and talking to somebody yeah. who's knowledgeable and can give a recommendation. And yeah. I want to see what's new. I yeah. there's certain certain whiskeys I like, certain products I like, but I can't drink it every day. But you right. know what we haven't talked about is the state did a trial run on. Um, was the delivery system and, and they shut it down? DoorDash. It was DoorDash. Oh, yes, yes, yes. I remember this. I was, I was did still, a trial run and it failed. Yeah, <laughs> I was still working at, uh, at 119 when that came into effect. And I remember reading the emails and all of us at the store were like, I don't know how this is going to work. And we did have a couple of dashers come in. And I don't even remember how it worked anymore. It wasn't a very frequent thing that people tried. But they'd come in and go, I'm here for this. And if they looked like a young kid, we had to card them. And then th we had to make sure that they'd be old enough to card whoever they were going to be dashing to. If that person also happened to look young. Because the whole conundrum of yeah, it was yeah was how are we going to ensure that 21 plus people are getting this product and nobody else and that's why it went away because there was other states uh the closest to us was oregon but i know it was a big issue in pennsylvania of minors ordering and the dashers weren't carting or yep. they just didn't care the guy would slip them an extra 20 bucks and yep. when NABCA got wind of all that, they sent a recommendation along with uh, Discus, which are two big right. national organizations about yep. liquor, and Idaho just pulled the plug. There's no documented incidences in Idaho, but because of what was going on nationally, yep. they just shut it down. And, and it was also demand. a big logistic nightmare for them for yeah. a very small percentage of orders and profit. Right. And like, at the end of the day, they are a business. They want to make money, exactly. and it didn't make business sense right. either. You know, right. so... And it really, I get it. It, it really wasn't it something that great. people did. You know, we really didn't get that many people doing it. I mean, I, I, I think it was a thing for probably only about two, maybe three months. And in that time frame, we probably had five dashers come in for for that for that service. So it really wasn't. You know, I don't know if that was just because Idaho consumers didn't know that that was suddenly an option to them or if it just was not appealing to them. A 119 used to be a bank. So we yeah. get people coming in all the time being like, why isn't the driveway open? You know, why can't we just cart on through and, you know, pick up our orders like a fast food joint? But the the DoorDash thing didn't catch on with them, which I always thought was kind of kind of interesting. And incidentally, you said Pennsylvania, another alcohol beverage control state, much like Idaho. Yep. Yeah. So. Yes. So my second story tonight is High West. High West expands a midwinter night's dram. Utah-based High West Distillery is releasing the 11th edition of their Midwinter Night's Dram. I guess it's already out at the distillery. It is the largest release they have ever had. I, I find it interesting they got this accurate. There are 
189,684 bottles that are available worldwide. Um, it is a blend of rye whiskeys like they've already done in the past, and it's finished in port barrels, just like they've always done in the past. This year, they're only doing the one release. Last year, they did two releases. They did Act 10, and then they did a commemorative bottling called the Encore. It turned out to be quite a headache, and there were fewer bottles available. This year, because there's so many bottles. They're saying we're not going to be flooding the market with bottles. We're st it's still going to be an allocated thing, but they're also going out of country. They're going to be selling their product in Australia and in Europe. So they're going yeah. international. Interesting. Uh, per their master distiller, Brendan Coyle, we're in a whole new chapter. Uh, we're going to be focusing on what got us here so that for the next two years, just one bottling. Their Midwinter Nights Dram begins with their High West Rendezvous yep. Rye. It is a MGP sourced 95% rye. And for this year, Act 11, the distillery is now using some of their own ryes. So they're blending mm -hmm. in their own ryes. Nice. Uh, they're finished in uh, Ruby Port Barrels bottled at 98% ABV, and uh, this bottling is being going to be priced at $150. So, That's... kind of a big ask. Do, do we know if I, Idaho probably gives small allocation? I'm, I'm sure they will. Yeah. We always do. I don't know how many more bottles uh, that we're going to get this year than last, but... Uh, I can't remember what act we had. I want to say uh, it was act eight. I think it was act eight. I really liked it, thought it was pretty good. I think you can get Noble Oak, Double Oak Rye as a dupe. And, yeah, and uh, we commented that it, it just tasted very much too, like it. Because that's also finished in the pork barrels. So, yeah. you know. I mean, yeah. It's MGP 95.5. Yeah. yeah. Like, that's that's what they're known for. That's their award winner. It's it's a great product. Finishing pork, something different. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the High West has changed since, since yes. they sold. They sold in 2016, like you've noted, done some changes. They've made a desire to trim their brand, simplify, and yet still expand. They discontinued the Yippee Kaye, and then they rebranded their core bourbon, formerly the American Prairie Bourbon. Now it's just called High West Bourbon. And Campfire is distillery exclusive? Yes. They've made some changes for the good. I, I like hearing that they're using their own distillate, yep. or yep. some of their own distillate now. I would love to see them get away from MGP. They are saying that their uh, campfire release will be entirely their own rye this time around. They're still blending it with uh, some bourbon and some blended malt scotch that they're getting elsewhere. But that was their campfire release. So I found that kind of an interesting story. And then uh, kind of wrap it up there for our news. That's our show. We thank you guys for being on. This is, I think, one of Thank our longest. Uh, yeah. This is, I think, one of our longest episodes that uh -oh. we've had. We've learned so much. I've learned so much. Sorry yeah. about that. No, 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 no. don't we're apologize. Yeah, we're in sales. I'm, I'm a talker. No. <laughs> we're when, talkers. When I got the thing, I thought, oh boy, like no, no. Now we did it. We did a uh, an episode with a friend of mine, uh, who was the bar manager back in Wisconsin. 
And that was a marathon session. And after the show, we continued to talk for another hour. Yeah. It, but I mean, he's, he's, a, he's a talker too. I think one of the great things about whiskey, and I'm sure other spirits included, but we like whiskey on our show. We're whiskey for the ages. <laughs> but I think one of the really great things about whiskey is that there is so much to talk about, whether it's what's actually in your glass and what you're enjoying out of your glass, or about the history of whiskey, which is so extensive and so fundamental to the country and its history and foundation, to how it works today. And how do we get it? How do Yeah, in a marketing sense and, and a consumer sense. So I, I think, whiskey just really encompasses so many things it's a nice warm drink it's a friendly drink it's one of those things that just instigates conversation it, 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 say, yeah it, it induces conversation and earlier when we were talking about you know what mood you're in or if you're with good company and you're drinking different whiskeys that to me that's how it is you yeah. get around like-minded people drinking whiskey, you, next thing you know, it's 3.30 in the morning on a work night. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's time to call it a night, guys. Come on. Yeah, yeah we won't keep you that long, we promise. Uh, yeah. But <laughs> I just thought of another food pairing while you were saying that. We were at, in Wisconsin visiting family, and we're sitting around the campfire, and the kids break out s'mores. Now, these aren't just your graham cracker marshmallow and s'more they were using they were using cinnamon graham crackers and they were using uh uh, uh giardelli squares no th okay. no they weren't they were using like mexican chocolate so there's chili in there and then the marshmallow so these are like spicy chocolate s'mores and we're just watching them put them over the fire and i i'd had too many at that point i'm like <laughs> I'm going to lose my marshmallow if I try that nonsense. It's not happening tonight, yeah. everyone. Yeah. <laughs> you know what's really good? You got If you like it, Scott doesn't have a sweet tooth. Get a chocolate graham cracker, which they make. Yeah. And then do the marshmallow and a Reese's peanut butter cup. Delicious. Yeah. If you got a sweet tooth, you got to try it. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Yep. We it, always, it, it is pretty good. We always throw ours in the freezer so that you don't get the gloopy mess. Once yeah, I have a mustache, it, and I don't like marshmallow in my mustache. <laughs> but if you freeze them, they're great. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Don't that's take a, very that's, long. That's, that's that's yeah, okay. Just like make them, throw them in, have your dinner. By the time you're ready for dessert... They're they're, fro they're, I, they're they're cold actually, enough that they won't you know melt all over and be sticky and nasty and I actually make them on my Traeger. I take a cedar plank and I put whatever number of squares fit on the cedar plank. I put the marsh marshmallow on, and then I use the Ghirardelli or the white chocolate or the white <laughs> chocolate raspberry, or or the caramel caramel with. <laughs> But, but oh, just okay. and yep. they just kind of melt all over the marshmallow. And then you take the other piece and put it on top. Then take another cedar plank and put it in and slide the whole works in the freezer. And then you're ready well, to we're go. Coming out, we're coming over to your house for sure. <laughs> yeah, I was like, well, why are we doing this uh, over the trigger? <laughs> you're welcome uh, anytime. Yeah. All right. So we'll, we'll our, the whiskey. Yes. 
upcoming shows. Anna, what do we got coming in two weeks? Uh, so in two weeks, we're going to be revisiting our Spotlight series. We did do this last season. We had that Spotlight of Proof, and we have the Spotlight on Distillery that is coming up next episode. This distillery is going to be Buffalo Trace. I'm going to be running that one, so very excited. We're going to have a little Buffalo Trace flight, uh, do all of that good stuff. Episode 7 yep. of this season. I decided that I'm going to do a, kind of an expose on American Single Malt. They're becoming pretty big now. So we're going to um, talk about single malts. And then uh, we've been toying with an idea about six weeks out. We're toying with an idea of a call-in show where we get four or five individuals from wherever our listeners are. And we just sit around and do this. Just Talk have a chat. and laugh and have fun and drink whiskey. And then each one of us tell us what we're drinking and that kind of thing. And then we'll be having uh, another one of our historical episodes. Dad does love his history, and especially when it comes to whiskey. So we'll be going into the next chapter of whiskey history that time around. And then to close out our season, a reminder again that we will be doing a listener's pick. So be on the lookout for a couple of whiskeys that we will be posting. And you guys get to decide what we're reviewing. We'll have never had it before. We'll be opening it up for the first time and sharing our thoughts with you guys at that time. We put a poll out last series. We had a bottle in our bunker that had been sitting there for a while. A Colonel Taylor Batch 10. So yep. we cracked that one open and, and tasted it on uh, on the show and We've got some. We've got some things in our some unicorns that some we can we can offer we'll up. Out, so, and but thank you guys so much uh, again for being on the show. We really did have a great time. Did learn so much. This was just a really good experience. I think. We end each one of our shows. We do a little ringing of the Glen Cairn. We'd like to thank everybody. So, uh, cheers up and thanks for being on our show. Thank you, everybody.